and see him that was possessed with the devil. They came for two reasons. They didn't come just to see Jesus, but they also came to see this one who was possessed with the devil. They had heard reports about him and they wanted to see if it really was true. And sure enough, there was this man sitting and clothed and in his right mind. There was such a transformation that occurred in this person's life that they were afraid. It was so powerful and it was so quick and it was so incredible that there was a little bit of fear in the people because they did not understand how this could possibly happen. Which is what happens sometimes when people come into a church where people are really seeking the face of God. It may seem a little strange, but there are miracles and lives being transformed in this place. That is why we are passionate today. Because we are living in desperate times, and desperate times call for desperate measures. Amen? Amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless us. He doesn't need to bless His Word. It's already perfect. It already produces its fruit but let's pray when we pray we're praying that our hearts will receive it that our minds will receive it lord jesus we're thankful for your word today we're thankful that in the middle of all the storms of life there is a rock that we can anchor our soul to that never changes that is always right and that is your word god It is the foundation of all we do. And when we make it the foundation of all we do, we are blessed with a life that has order, that has peace. That we're able to go through all the storms of life and the house still stands because it's built on the rock, the sure foundation of your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray in the next few minutes as we talk about moving from chaos to order, that you will give us hope You will give us peace. You will give us revelation and understanding that this word is not only for us, but is for people all over our society that are stuck in the midst of chaos and don't know what to do about it. That you are the one who desires to bring order to our lives today. You are the one who is able to do so more than anybody else. And for that, we give you praise. For that, we give you glory. And for that, We lift up the name of Jesus above every other name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But whosoever will call upon your name shall be saved. So Lord, we thank you that we are in your presence today. It is not our goodness that has brought us here, but your mercy and your love has drawn us to this place. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Greet someone next to you. Smile, tell them you're glad they're in the house of the Lord today. You're glad they get to see you. (laughs) And you're glad to see them. Amen. I'm glad we have a Father in heaven who doesn't just stay in heaven. Amen. But He brings His kingdom wherever people will pray.
His life was filled in constant chaos, confusion, and turmoil. He didn't know any different, at least in the recent near future, until the day that Jesus stepped onto the shore and he encountered the one who specializes in turning chaos into order. We find this story in Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1. Mark 5 and 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, speaking of Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So Jesus comes out of the ship, and here comes this man wasting no time. Immediately he came to meet Jesus. He came from the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 3 goes on to describe his life further. It says, this man had his dwelling among the tombs. He literally lived among dead people. He was surrounded by death. And no man could bind him. No, not even with chains. Because they had tried before. It says often they had bound him with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. Law enforcement is helpful. It's a good deterrent. But ultimately law enforcement cannot tame the chaos inside of a deranged individual. In this instance, they couldn't even lock him up and keep him locked up. He literally broke out under the power of his own hands. But it wasn't his power, it was this spiritual power that resided within him. Sometimes we need to quit asking What can man do to help this situation? And we need to start asking, what can Jesus do to help this situation? Man did their best, but man could not tame this man. And always, verse 5 goes on to say, always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying, And cutting himself with stones. And I want us to understand today, this is not just a story for us to think about as an example, but this was a life that was lived. Always in the tombs, crying and cutting himself. So disturbed about who he was. So convinced by the enemy within him that he should destroy himself. He lived harming himself, crying desperately, no doubt wanting to change. Verse 6 is where the story turns for the good. It says, but, so we have all this that's pretty bad. 
I think we could all agree. I don't think anybody here this morning would trade places. I know I certainly would not trade places with this individual. We have all that, but when he saw Jesus afar off, Jesus' boat hadn't even got to shore yet, but somehow this man understood that Jesus was on the boat and he was coming to his shore. Here is the desperation that we need to have. He ran and worshipped Him. This is why worship, sometimes we should be reverent. Sometimes we should be quiet and be still in God's presence. I'll qualify it by saying that. I understand there are moments of reverence. But there needs to be a desperate, reckless abandon to worship Him. We need to run at the opportunity to worship Him. And one could certainly argue this man is a fool because if anyone deserves Jesus, it's not Him. If we're looking at it through a carnal mindset. If we're looking at it as man looks at it, this man is not someone that deserves any kind of audience with Jesus. This was the most unrighteous individual in that city. He was the most devil-possessed person that I can find in Scripture as far as the ability to do some of the things he did because of how many demons were inside of him. In fact, it says later that they just simply said, we are legion because we are many. This guy didn't have one devil. He had many devils. And yet, though he was possessed with the power of demonic forces that caused him to break out of chains, those devils could not stop his feet from moving toward Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter how messed up we are, if we will make up our mind to go to Jesus, there is not a devil in hell that can stop us. It doesn't matter how many times we messed up. It doesn't matter how bad we have done. If we want to make our way to Jesus, no one can stop us. And if even if our feet are bound in chains again, if we have the attitude that we'll be eager and quick to get into the presence of Jesus. This man came and he began to worship Jesus. You see, our church is welcome to everyone. Everyone deserves the opportunity to worship Jesus. Everyone deserves the opportunity to come into these doors, into the presence of God, and begin to worship Him. And this man, as he was worshiping Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou Son of the Most High. And it's no longer Him that's speaking, but the demons speaking through Him. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. You see, demons are afraid of Jesus. 
The tormentors become tormented in His presence. Demons love tormenting people. But when they get in the presence of Jesus, they say, please don't hurt me. It's like the proverbial bully that smacks around everybody smaller and he gets around someone his own size and he gets down on his knees and begs, please. Don't hurt me. Not so big and bad in the presence of Jesus. For Jesus had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now, this is something in studying that I want to go deeper in in another time. Because it seems like demonic forces don't like losing territory. Don't send me out of the country. Whatever you do, let me stay in the country. But we as a church need to understand we have the authority to send them out of the country. And we should be engaged in doing so. I don't know why Jesus allowed them to, but for whatever reason He did, they said there was... Uh, a mountain that was close, a great herd of pigs were feeding over there. And the devil said, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. If we can't be inside of this man, let us live in those pigs over there. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. In other words, their eviction was finalized. There was no choice in the matter. Another passage of scripture, he simply said, go. And they went. And the unclean spirits went out, verse 13 tells us, and entered into the swine and the herd, ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000. So that gives us at least a little bit of an idea that there was at least 2,000 demons in this man. Because they took 2,000 pigs headlong into the sea. And they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. Notice that when this man came and began to worship Jesus, he didn't have to come up with all the right words and the perfect little prayer of deliverance. He just found out how to surrender in worship. And Jesus spoke to the situation. Your most important duty in deliverance is worship. It's not forming all the right words of prayer. It's coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I worship you. I make you Lord of my life. And I ask you to make me whole, to make me clean, to have your way. And Jesus will take care of the rest. Jesus is the one that deals with our demons. We have the saying of dealing with our demons. We need to cease from dealing with our demons and let Jesus deal with our demons. 
In the verse we read earlier, they come to Jesus, the people out of the city. They've just heard the report from the swine shepherds and they came to see him that was possessed with the devil. This man that lived in the tombs that no doubt was a man of repute and people, they would probably sneak up to a distance just close enough to get an eye on what this guy was doing and they would like to see him running around and scraping himself and crying out and acting like a wild animal. And now this man was no longer wild. But within a matter of moments, he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. It was such an amazing event that they were afraid. Who can restore such a man like this? When we examine the story of creation, we find in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And this was His material He had to work with. Verse 2 tells us, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Without form and void equates to the original Hebrew language meaning chaos and confusion, disorder and emptiness, darkness. And God began to move upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God began to move on the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God stepped into a situation that was absolute chaos and confusion and He began to speak and immediately as creation submitted to His Word, order began to be brought into place. Life and light. Beauty and completeness. And when we look at the... I'm not going to bore you with a lot of science today, but I love science. And if you look at the stars of the sky, we see that they testify to the goodness and the greatness of our God. The stars in the sky declare the glory of God. And if we would just understand just a few small things, it would tell us that God knows how to make things in order. For example, the size of the earth and the size of the sun are exactly the size they need to be to have life on earth. But it isn't just about the size, but the distance between the earth and the sun has to be pretty much exactly what it is, or else there would be no life on earth. It would be too cold, or like recently we think it's hot now, move us a little bit closer to the sun. And we would be extra crispy. Not only the relation and distance, but the angle of the earth's tilt at exactly 23 degrees in relation to the sun makes it perfect for the seasons to happen in the order and the complexity that they happen. These are just a few things about our relationship with the rest of the cosmos that every time we get a more powerful microscope, we find new planets we never found before, new stars, new moons. 
Entire galaxies and solar systems. Far beyond what we can see or our latest technology can see. And we sit in a perfect place for life. That's the God of order. The balance of the ecosystem, when you zoom in a little bit more on earth and you begin to look at ecosystems and how that there are several animals within the ecosystem. There's sources of food and there's weather and all these different factors that go into this ecosystem and these animals being able to exist. And if you remove one animal, you remove one source of food or you change the weather just a little bit and all of a sudden upheaval in the ecosystem and it begins to adversely affect every creature involved. A delicate balance that was created by a masterful God. And you look at things, again, I'm not going to go too deep, I'm just scratching the surface, but the ability of our eyes to focus, and I know some of us, not so good maybe, but when they were originally created, the ability of the eye to focus and to adjust to changes in light and movement, a healthy human eye is so far ahead of the latest technology. Cameras and other technologies are trying to catch up to what the human eye does every single moment of every single day. And as we get deeper into the human body, just what we call the simple cell, that there's trillions of them in our body. There's trillions of them in our body. And every single one of these microscopic Organisms operates like a small city. Not even to get into DNA. It gives you your eye color and your attributes. God created all that order. And if He can design that kind of order in creation, why do we go about our days and make our decisions absent of His counsel? If God can do all that, don't you think He knows what's best for us? The Creator knows the way the creation operates in its optimal setting. You don't get to call Bill Gates and ask him about your computer. Even though He knows more than most people how a computer best operates, at least Windows. We don't get access to Bill Gates. But we have access to the one who created the entire universe. Who doesn't just open the windows on a computer, but he can open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings beyond measure. And the thing is, he eagerly desires to do so. The Bible says he is constantly searching the earth for people who are looking to connect with him. Every moment of every day, he is scouring the earth saying, who wants my help? I am here to help you. I am here to bless you. I am here to give you wisdom to live life. He's just waiting for us.
to ask. And that's why there's such an assault on the Word of God. There's such an attempt of the enemy to discredit the Word of God because the Word of God is what gives us that order. And people will embrace the natural laws that God put in place as fact. Things like gravity, they accept those things as fact. They understand if you jump off a high building, it's not good at the end of that trip. It might be really cool in the middle. It might be great in the beginning. But if you don't have a parachute, it's not a good end. Yet people will take leaps in their life of pleasure that are contrary to God's spiritual laws and they'll enjoy the journey not knowing they're about to hit bottom. They take the leap without the parachute of God's Word. And we see it playing out in our day more and more. Unfortunately, we are examining creation in a less optimal state than it was originally designed. Because if you remember, Adam and Eve rejected the Word of God. And as a result, sin entered. And just as obeying the Word of God brings order, disobeying the Word of God brings chaos. If we, were, if we are moving towards God, if we are submitting to God, we are going to become increasingly more in order. If we are resisting God and walking away from God, there's going to be more and more chaos. We see this in our society. It's becoming more chaos and more confusion because people are rejecting God's order. They're living lives like they did in the Old Testament where it says they are doing that which seems right in their own eyes. And when we do that, it brings chaos. Even nature is rebelling against the sin. Do we think these things like what's happening in Houston are happenstance? Why is nature in chaos? Because man is rejecting God. That which is good is being called evil. That which is evil is being called good. And again, it's not about my opinion. And I'm sorry to say it, it's not about your opinion. It's God's order. It's God's law. And so the way we live our lives isn't so much about being, quote, religious. It's about submitting to God's order. And before we get any further, let me just quickly say, the moment we begin to submit to His order, then He begins to restore order. So that's the hope we have today because we all miss the mark. Unfortunately, I miss the mark in one way or the other every single day. So we have people that are living in 
complete contradiction, but this, the problem is they're not just struggling with it. There's a difference between struggling with sin and submitting to sin. They're not just struggling with it. They're saying, this is okay, accept it. Because this is okay. But if it's not in order with God's order, it's not okay. It's going to produce chaos. And just one issue that is constantly in our face is is the expression of our sexuality. Right? In all different forms. The way we have the best order in our lives is to submit to God's order and save our expression of sexuality to being married to someone. And someone, again, God's law, not mine, of the opposite sex. Because that's God's design. It brings order. It brings peace. It brings joy. So it's not a matter of whose opinion's more valid, what person's better. I'm not better than anybody living in a lifestyle that's contrary to God's order. I'm not better than anybody living in sin and, and not even caring about God. I'm not better than anybody. But it's not about me. It's about His Word. It's about His Word. So when we begin to submit to it, peace comes. Joy comes. Comfort comes. Why do you think we've gotten to the place where people don't even know what their gender is? Because chaos produces confusion. So much confusion that people can't just look in the mirror and see what God made. It's a biological fact. God gave you certain parts. It's pretty clear to identify. And I I don't envy the people in that kind of confusion. I don't say that in a way that is belittling them because if it wasn't for the grace of God, who knows what I would be thinking. But you know how much peace those people would have if they would just surrender and say, God, you didn't make a mistake when you made me a man. You didn't make a mistake when you made me a woman. Therefore, even if I'm struggling with understanding this, I'm going to submit to the fact that you made me this way and I'm going to trust you to help me live this way. And that brings order. That brings peace. Not just to individuals, but to culture and society. Because these things, they don't just erode personal lives. They destroy the family structure. They destroy reproduction itself. And ultimately they destroy mankind. Again, I'm not on some kind of spiritual high horse here. I'm no better than anybody. But if our society wants order, we're going to have to return to the tenets of God's word and simply say, what does the Bible say? It makes it so simple. It settles it. 
You know how hard it is to come to a conclusion when you don't have an authority? You just have a room full of people with equal say? And everybody has a different opinion? You can talk for days, months, years, and never come to a conclusion. But if everybody decides, let's see what the Word of God says, we'll submit to that. Then there's an order that comes. As a church, our final authority is not the pastor's opinion. It's the Word of God. That's what we are all to submit to. And as we do, peace, love, and joy begin to fill our lives. And again, just a word of hope. The moment we submit to God, He begins that work. Even if we knew better, even if we messed up a thousand times on the same thing, when we come back to Him and we freshly submit ourselves and say, Here I am, Lord. I messed up again. You saw it again. I said I would never do it, but I did it again. Please forgive me and cleanse me. And we truly, sincerely pray that and we move forward on the right foot. God begins to restore order to our lives. If you remember Samson, they cut his hair because they found out that was his source of power. His uncut hair, his consecration to God. And that was his source of power and he gave it away in a moment of temptation and weakness and he woke up and he shook himself as he did many times before but this time the power was gone. And as they led him away to where they would ultimately put his eyes out and treat him like an ox or any other kind of beast of burden every moment that passed his hair kept growing every moment he was sitting there entertaining people like an animal God was restoring his strength and when he stood there under the pillars of the house that day and people were making sport and mocking him and his God he just began to pray Lord just give me power one more time Let me have power again. Restore order again. And God gave him strength and he pulled down the pillars. And he slew more in his death than he did any other time of his life. Because God loves to bring order into chaos. And when we die to self, order truly is restored. As we come to a conclusion, I want to remind us of the story of Jesus in the garden. Jesus was so powerful because Jesus was the Word become flesh. The Word of God became flesh. The plan of God, the order of God came in human form. That's why Jesus went around restoring order everywhere he went. Healing diseases. Casting out devils. 
calling forth the dead. He was showing that he has the power and the authority to reverse the curse of sin and to restore order no matter how much chaos as we read already today. Jesus was the Word become flesh. He was powerful because He manifested the Word of God through His humanity in everything He did. Which is, by the way, what God would desire of us. But Jesus was not born with a sinful nature. He was perfect in His humanity. Though He was tempted by sin, He never did sin. He did the will of the Spirit of God that lived inside of Him. He had all power in heaven and earth because He was submitted to the Word of God. And if we want that kind of authority, we have to be submitted to the Word of God. But even being God in the flesh, Jesus shows us that it's not always easy to do the will of God. And if you want to come and begin to play, we're going to respond to the word in just a moment. In Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. It said, Then Jesus cometh with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Jesus was from the south. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. Pray with me. I need your prayers right now because I'm struggling with this temptation. I know what the will of God is. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm struggling with it right now. And he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Again, something about Jesus was different than any other person who lived before or after. He was God in the flesh, so... The humanity of Jesus was praying to the Father that was inside of Him. His humanity was struggling with doing what He knew was the right thing to do. Because He was about to take on the cup of sorrow that included the sin of the entire world. And He came to His disciples and He found them asleep. And said unto them, Peter... Couldn't you just pray with me for one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, Jesus was giving us an example in this story. And the disciples proved it in a few short hours. If we don't submit our flesh in prayer, we will fall in weakness not very long afterwards. Peter denied him. The rest of them fled when he was arrested. 
Their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak, and instead of praying, they were sleeping. So Jesus went away again a second time, and He prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, Thy will be done. He surrendered. Though he was in such great sorrow that he had blood coming out of his pores from the agony of the prayer. But he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them. And he went again and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. If I have to do this, God, I'll do it. Because I want to be an agent that restores order in people's lives. I don't want to just have my life as it should be. I don't want to just have everything in order in my spirit. But God, I want to do what's possible to see others saved. And Jesus went to the cross. And he endured the utter chaos of all the sin of the world laid upon him. You think about the chaos that comes from addictions and the chaos that comes from immorality and the chaos that comes and the shame and the guilt and all that comes along with sinful decisions and you magnify that billions of times. And that weight rested on Jesus. He took that weight upon Him. He took the chaos upon Him so that He would know today exactly what you feel. If you think no one understands, I can tell you Jesus understands. If you think nobody understands the chaos that you have in your mind as you lay in bed at night and you look at the ceiling and you wonder how it's ever going to get better. If you think nobody understands the chaos, Jesus has been through the chaos. He knows not only how to restore order, He does it with the understanding and the compassion of one who's already walked down the road and already had the thing done to Himself. So as we stand today, we're not praying to a God who is not touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We're not praying to a God who is foreign to the feeling of the the chaos that results from sin. But we're addressing a God who is both intimately aware and exceedingly able to overcome. He knows exactly what you're going through and He's just eagerly waiting for you to run and to worship Him. He's waiting for you to come to His feet and worship and say, Jesus, here I am. Lord, You know my struggles. You know my situations. And I worship You. I exalt You. I lift up Your holy name. If there's some chaos in your life today, I invite you to worship Him. I invite you to lift up your voice. I invite you to run into His presence.